The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. To find out more about this talk show or other talk shows broadcasting on KUCI, log on to our website at KUCI.org or check out the latest program guide. You're listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine and KUCI.org on the web. Welcome to Privacy Piracy. I'm Lloyd. I'm the show's engineer, and your host is Mari Frank. Mari's a local attorney and certified information privacy professional. She's the author of several books, including Safeguard Your Identity, From Victim to Victor, and The Complete Idiot's Guide to Recovering from Identity Theft. She's testified many times in Congress and the California Legislature on privacy and identity theft issues. And you may have seen her on Dateline, 48 Hours, CNN, NBC, ABC, O'Reilly Factor, and many other shows, including her own 90-minute PBS television special, Protecting Yourself in the Information Age. To learn more about this radio show and our great guests, please visit KUCI.org slash Privacy Piracy. Hey, Mari, what's our show about today? Well, Lloyd, today our show is about a lot of really important things doing with consumer privacy. And today we are welcoming back one of our great guests that we love to have back quite often, and that's Susan Grant. She's the Director of Consumer Protection at the Consumer Federation of America in Washington, D.C. It is a nonprofit association of some 300 nonprofit consumer groups that was established in 1968 to advance the consumer interest through research, education, and advocacy. Susan works on a variety of things, basically on domestic and international issues, including privacy, identity theft, online safety and security, telemarketing, electronic and mobile commerce, and consumer education. She wears lots of hats. She heads CFA's Consumer Protection Institute, and she conducts this annual consumer complaint survey with state and local consumer protection agencies. And she's recognized as a top authority on combating consumer fraud and deception. And she began her career back in 1976 in the Consumer Protection Division of the Northwestern District Attorney's Office in Massachusetts. And she's worked on consumer protection for all these years, and she is fabulous, and I'm so glad to call her my friend. Thank you, Susan, for coming on all the way from D.C., Thank you for having me. Well, I also wanted to say before I forget, if you're listening and you're at your con- uh, your computer, you can go to consumerfed.org and idtheftinfo.org, and we're going to talk a little bit about that. Susan, so, you know, I've been very happy to be involved in your Identity Theft Services Best Practice Working Group, and I want you to talk about a little bit about the update on that. I know there was a press release recently about um, what these identity theft services have done to improve, and that's a lot due to you. And so just tell us a little bit of an update. Well, I've been very grateful for your help in this process, Mari. As you know, back in uh, 2011, uh, we put out best practices for identity theft services, and the aim was to ensure that they weren't making misleading claims about what they could do to protect people, and that they were giving people the full and um, accurate information that they need about what their services and features actually entail. 
so that if somebody's interested in buying an IDCF service, they'd know what to look for. So we, we put out those best practices, and in 2012, we put out a report where we looked at how a variety of IDCF services, both um, that participate in our working group and that don't, were uh, measuring up to certain of those best practices, and we found that there was still lots of room for improvement. So uh, as a result of that report, we began to have conversations with IDCF services about um, things that they could change, um, primarily uh, in the information that they have on their websites about uh, uh, their services. And um, uh, just uh, in uh, early June of 2013, we put out a press release that um, uh, says how pleased we are that lots of these ID theft services um, have actually taken our recommendations and improved the information that they provide on their websites. Um, we didn't get all of the companies whose websites we looked at to make changes but um, we got uh, many of them to do so, some of the biggest players in the industry. And it's very encouraging. And, you know, you're such a great mediator, Susan, because you focused on all the good things that are d- being done by those companies that wanted to step up to the plate so that the companies who haven't done it kind of look like they have egg on their faces, but, but it didn't do it in a negative way. It did it in a positive way. So I think that even the companies that you know, did step up to the plate are still encouraged now to do some of the other things. I know you're making it easier for people to see how they can get a refund and people understand exactly what they're going to get. You know, they, they know what they're buying. And if they need something else, then they know that maybe that service isn't for them. So um, I just give you lots of kudos, Susan, because you, you know, as a mediator for the last 27 years, and I watch you in action, I think, oh my gosh, she is just really a master. And she's a natural so (laughs) well (laughs) i have had mediation training mari (laughs) and you know it really helps um when you're um whether you're dealing with um companies or um, legislators or anyone else um it it really helps uh, if you're trying to um persuade somebody to do something and i have to hand it to these companies because in some cases they were using taglines that they were very attached to about, like, stopping identity theft in its tracks. Right, right. And, you know, we said that we thought that some of those claims went too far, um, and we got a lot of the companies to change what it was that they were claiming um, to make more clear um, what exactly they do and what they don't do, which is just as important. Um, and... Um, uh, also, to make other uh, things obvious, like, um, uh, for instance, as you point out, uh, if you cancel, can you get the money back if you've prepaid? Right. Um, so, uh, you know, I'm encouraged. Um, there's still more work to be done. But I think we've made great progress. And again, thanks for your help. Yeah. No, I think I think it's terrific. And I'm glad to hear that you've had mediation training. And I think that we do want to encourage the, the companies to do a good job because, you know, they they're you know, they are providing a service that, it, you know, many of those are really worthwhile. And, um, you know, I mean, the truth of the matter is you, you can't under any circumstances 
absolutely guarantee somebody that you, you're going to prevent identity theft. And so that's important because if people rely on that and then it happens, uh, the company's not going to be happy either. Right. <laughs> So, you know, before we go into some talk about fishing, I just, you know, you have so many hats, you do so many exciting things. Can you just tell us a little bit about some of the stuff that's on your plate and then we'll kind of hone in? Well, there's a lot of stuff going on right now about privacy and some of it may seem really esoteric to people and yet um, it's going to affect them in one way or another. Uh, For instance, there's something that's called a multi-stakeholder privacy process that's currently going on um, under the um, auspices of the Department of Commerce. And it's um, bringing um, uh, companies and consumer advocates together to try to uh, see if they can um, work out um, various codes of conduct concerning privacy and the the first one, the one that's still being worked on, has to do with um, disclosure of certain privacy practices in regard to mobile apps. Oh, that's, you know, that's scary, uh, Mobile yeah. apps are a booming business right now. Um, even the free ones are a business because um, part of the business model is collecting information about what people are doing, where they're going, and so on. Um, when they use apps, and um, so this is an attempt to um, uh, get companies to agree to provide better disclosures about what information is collected and with whom it's shared. This has been um, going on this process for nearly a year now, and I'm hoping that something will come out of it that will be useful to consumers. Um, It's not what I'd like to see necessarily, for instance, in a comprehensive uh, privacy law, which we still need in the United States. It only gets at a very um, narrow slice of um, uh, data practices for a very narrow slice of um, the uh, uh, data collection uh, industry. But um, it's still... I think got the potential to be um, very helpful to consumers, and so you got to start plugging away on that. And and you got to start somewhere, right? I mean, we've we've learned, and you know more than anyone being in D.C. that you got to take increments, right? Little steps to you get your foot in the door, and then you can, you know, add more to it. You just have to start somewhere. That's what I learned in California legislature too. Is you got to. One year you get a little something, then you get in a little more, you know, you have to keep going back. But and that's part of the mediation process. But I'll tell you, you know, I I have a new phone and um, it's a, a Windows 8. And, you know, I look at all these apps, these free apps, and then I look at, well, you have to allow this and you have to allow that and. And then I don't take it. You know, I'm I'm scared and I am looking for a privacy policy. So I think especially the young people who are walking around with their head in their, their phone, you know, most of the day yes. <laughs> that they are downloading. I had one intern that uh, worked for me, not the one that works for me now, but um, who would download almost every free app. And I and I started showing him. Um, I had him do some paperwork on, on on mobile apps and realizing, oh my goodness, nothing is really free. And I don't pe- I don't think that people really recognize that that oh it's free. Well, why is it free? They're getting something out of it, right? 
That's right. And uh, some of the other things that I'm working on are international, but again, um, they really have the potential to affect consumers here in the U.S. in their everyday lives. There's um, uh, the European um, countries are um, considering um, new regulations concerning data protection, which would um, give even stronger rights to people in Europe um, than they already have. And why is that important to the U.S.? Because all of these companies are now multinational. We have um, lots of companies uh, based in the United States that are doing business with European consumers and vice versa. And so uh, what happens in one part of the world in terms of privacy legislation ultimately has an effect on um, other parts of the world. If there is stronger privacy regulation in Europe, that puts more pressure on um, U.S. companies and on the U.S. government to do more here, um, especially because if companies in the U.S., for instance, want to do business with European consumers, they're going to have to follow these rules, and it doesn't make sense for them to you know, follow different rules um, as between the U.S. and Europe. So um, whether the U.S. can ever raise its standards through legislation and rulemaking to be on a par with Europe is a big question. It's a big question for um, uh, companies uh, because obviously they want to be able to um, freely um, uh, trade back and forth and they want to use data um, increasingly as part of that trade. But it's also a big deal for U.S. consumers because it could mean that there's more pressure to give them better protection than they have now. Yeah, I think it could really work for our benefit. And, you know, when you talk about companies, we're not just talking about these large corporations, even small companies, even mom and pop companies that have an Internet presence might be working with people from Europe or other countries. And so they're still going to be, you know, held to those standards. So when you're talking about it, we're talking about any company is going to be held to the same standard to follow those rules if they are using uh, personal information of these European um, residents, right? Right, that's right. And then, as you mentioned, um, we recently did a a consumer education project concerning phishing, um, which um, is ultimately a privacy concern because it's your um, privacy being invaded in very sneaky ways. Yeah. Let's talk about that for for those people who don't know. We're not talking about F-I-S-H-I-N-G. We're talking about some P-H-I-S-I, can I talk? P-H-I-S-H-I-N-G, phishing. And so let's talk a little bit about really what it is and what tricks they do use. And it is a play on yes, it is. fishing for uh, bass um, in that um, it's crooks who are fishing around um, for your personal information so that they can use it to steal money from your bank account or apply for a job using your Social Security number or commit some other kind of fraud. So um, their, um, their mode of operation is to try to trick you by pretending to be a well-known company that you might actually do business with, 
um, or uh, an organization that you know and trust, or even a government agency. Right, and, right. And, the IRS, uh, right? That's <laughs> right. And, 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 and um, they use various ploys to trick you into um, confirming your personal information as if they already had it, which, of course, in this case, they don't. Right. So, you know, how big of a problem really is this? Well, it's a huge problem. Um, the National Consumers League has a fraud center that takes reports from consumers about different kinds of scams. And um, phishing is the fourth most common reported to them uh, last year. And there's a security company, um, RSA Security, that says that phishing attempts increased by 59% wow. between 2011 and 2012. And, you know, I think they're getting more sophisticated, too. Before, you'd see all these typos, you know, but I think they're getting much more sophisticated. They're taking their time, and they're getting a lot trickier and using all all sorts of social engineering. So um, that that seems to be maybe why it's more successful. Yes. Um, Originally, when we first started seeing the phishing problem several years ago, um, as you point out, you would get an email, and it, uh, the the uh, English was very poor, and the the, the uh, you know you, you could <laughs> tell that this was suspicious. Um, and they very often used um, scare tactics like uh, your account's about to be closed um, unless um, you can verify that this information um, is correct. Um, and they still sometimes do use scare tactics, but they have gotten much more sophisticated. Um, They will pretend to be, for instance, your employer and um, send a message out um, saying that um, uh, some information is being updated um, and and, uh, um, you need to fill out some new forms. And um, they are actually, rather than um, randomly targeting people now, uh, which still happens, but increasingly they are um, targeting people knowing that, for instance, they work for a particular company. Right. And how do they do that? They go to the company website where often um, the staff is listed. Right. Um, and um, they get the email addresses and then they send an email out pretending to be the employer or they'll pretend to be a government agency, as you said, like the IRS, um, or um, a, a charitable organization right. um, that you might be a member of. And, and, so, and, they'll tap into, know, yeah, and they'll tap into things like when we had Hurricane Sandy or right. something like that. They'll, they'll try and touch your heartstrings. Yeah, That's that, right. Yeah. yeah. And, and so um, it's, I think, getting increasingly more difficult for people to tell if it's a scamming message or uh, a, a legitimate message. Right. And I think people are, are, are starting to learn about this because of all the great work that you're doing, Susan, you know, with CFA. But I think the scary part is what they're doing now with talk about what, you know, I noticed I've gotten some phishing regular mail and and I haven't gotten the text messages, but I know other people have. So talk a little bit about how these crooks are, are uh, kind of expanding into other areas. Well, you're right. They're not just using email. Um, they use all different methods 
um, to uh, communicate with people, including sending text messages on their phone, you know, again, pretending to be somebody that they're not, or even calling, um, again, pretending to be a company that you might conceivably have an account with or um, a government agency or an organization. And um, so any way that they can communicate with you, um, they're going to use those channels for all different kinds of fraud, including phishing. And um, also, sometimes it's not asking you to confirm your information. It's pretending to be a regular transaction. For instance, um, I get my wireless um, service bill online. And um, so not too long ago, I got what looked in my email like the regular bill from my wireless service and, um, uh, you know, wanted me to click on uh, the website to pay my bill like my online bill usually asks me to do. And um, the only thing that made me wonder is my bill is usually about the same amount every month. And this was higher than it normally was. So that kind of prompted me to look more closely. And when I did, I noticed that the return address on the email, instead of being the company's usual email address, was um, irs.gov. Oh, really? <laughs> didn't make any sense at all. Um, and then I called my wireless service and asked them and confirmed that this was, in fact, not the bill from them. This was just an attempt to get me to go to a website that looked just like the website of my wireless um, carrier. Wow. Um, uh, and then when I went to pay my bill, if I did that, um, they would want me to put my um, credit card credit card number yeah. in there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then once they had that information, away they would go. So, you know, there's always new um, angles that they use to try to um, trick you into providing your personal information. Um, but Susan, I think one... it's Im- wait. But Susan, I think it's so important what you just said is what you did is it first of all it looked a little strange, but you called the number that you knew of your carrier, and that's what people need to do. I know it takes a, a little bit of time, but when if something doesn't look right, you need to call just like Susan did. That is really an important consumer thing to do is question it. I have to tell you a funny story. I got something in the mail, regular mail, um, a few weeks ago, and it was telling me that there was unclaimed funds for me, for my office. Oh, right. And and, um, I immediately said, this is fraud, you know, but I thought, hmm, you know, so, and they said it was farmer's insurance. And um, so I didn't, I I just didn't trust it at all. So I actually called the number that I looked up online for farmer's insurance. And it really was. (laughs) (laughs) But I mean, it was funny because we were both so, Anne and I were just so shocked that it was real, that that there was money that that was unclaimed that the, and it said that the state was going to do it. But I have seen those before that are fraudulent. So, you know, it's really important, number one, to check it out, because what if I just would have thrown it away? I wouldn't have gotten that money. That's right. (laughs) I'm glad you brought up that point. I mean, it's just so important to check and to check independently. Um, 
for instance, um, you might actually um, legitimately get a message on your um, voicemail um, from somebody saying that they're your credit card is sure and they want to check to make sure yeah. that you made a recent transaction. Sure. They actually do that. Right. That's their neural network that catches right. something. Yeah. But scammers also yeah. um, use the same ploy. So I never call the number that's left. No, no, no. You look I it up on the web. I always look the number yeah. up independently. Yeah. Yes. Uh, you know, th- that's really the only way that you can be sure that you're... Um, uh, that you're talking to who you think you are. And, and you can't, like if you get a call, you can't just rely on caller ID. No. It's very easy to spoof that information. Um, so whether you're, you're, oh, the other thing is, even when I pay my uh, wireless bill online, I never just click on the message that says your bill is ready to Right. Do. I always go to the website independently. So I can be sure that that's where I'm really going. And even don't save it on your computer because I have read that they can uh, uh, kind of take that, you know, if you if you keep it as a favorite, they can point it to another website. So don't, you know, you should type it in. Like when I go to, to do any of my online banking, I type it in. So well, you've just pointed out why it's so important to have antivirus and anti-spyware yes. software on your computer. I mean, they wouldn't be able to do that if your computer was sufficiently um, protected. But if it's not, it means that somebody can um, get into your computer through various ruses, including phish- phishing messages, and um, install uh, software that you don't even know is there that can then detect things like your passwords, your favorites, and everything else, and um, do all kinds of things uh, to your computer without your having any idea. Oh, I know. And then you know what I've been getting a lot of lately, Susan? I'll get an email that says it's from a friend, okay, or an attorney that, that I'm on a listserv, and it'll say, look at this, and then they've got a URL. Um, yes. I know I, I know automatically to just delete those or and then write an email to my friend and say, hey, you're infected. Your, your computer is a bot, right now that's, that's sending right. out this thing and you know people just don't even know what to do with that they go no i didn't send you that it's like oh you better talk to your computer consultant and go ahead and have this removed from because you are you know you're being controlled by another computer and another thing you need to be careful of is any attachments that somebody sends you if you weren't expecting them you might want to check with the person before you open them because that's another way that things like viruses and spyware can enter into your computer. Yes, and, you know, I I send a lot of attachments to my clients, but I encrypt everything, and people don't realize that if you're sending sensitive information with your social security number or account numbers or anything, don't ever send it in an email. People will send me emails with their social security number in it, and I want to die, you know? (laughs) No, I know, I know. Well, you know, the thing is that... Um, it's not just Consumer Federation that has good information for people about phishing and how to protect themselves from other kinds of scams. There's a lot of information out there, and you just really need to know where to look for it. Uh, we hope that we're um, seen as one good source of credible, objective um, information and advice for consumers. But there's also the Federal Trade Commission. Um, uh, privacy Rights Clearinghouse, 
and uh, a number of other places that consumers can go. And that is wonderful advice. So let's have your website. It's consumerfed.org slash fraud. That's where they're going to learn about the phishing, right? That's right. Um, When you get to consumerfed.org slash fraud, there are um, consumer information materials that are grouped according to subjects. So if you look under identity theft, you'll find um, the uh, phishing tips and a really funny video that we made. It's about two minutes long, and I think people will learn a lot and enjoy um, uh, watching that. Um, We also have um, uh, information there about what to look for if you're thinking about buying ID theft services, uh, which we uh, just talked about, yeah. Um, But we have um, other categories of information as well about different kinds of scams. Um, So uh, there's there's lots there. And usually in our tips, we also provide other credible resources on whatever the subject is. Well, that's perfect. You are ending just on time, Susan. You're wonderful. So just um, we'll give your other website, idtheftinfo.org and consumerfed.org, and you are doing a wonderful job. We love you. We can't wait to see you again and have you back on the show. Thanks so much, Susan. Anytime. Thank you. Okay, bye-bye. Bye. You've been listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine and KUCI.org on the net. I'm Mari Frank, host of Privacy Piracy. Join us every Monday morning at 8 a.m. and also visit our website at KUCI.org slash privacy piracy and write us emails about what's of concern to you about privacy in the information age. Thanks. Stay private. The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents.